Hi friends, it's a new day and welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, over however how long it takes. And today we're beginning to look at a new chapter, Genesis chapter 48, on this amazing journey through the whole Bible. If you're joining us for the very first time, then why not consider going back to the start and playing catch up for a little while, maybe listen to a couple a day until you join us here and then be part of this community. Thousands of us, tens of thousands in fact, who are going to be working through the Bible, not just reading it, but studying the Bible together over these next five or so years, I would expect. Now, if you're here for the very first time, I'd like to remind you that there's always a transcript of what I've said. All the resources I put on the internet are in the public domain, copyright free, for you to use in your personal study time or in the preparation of Bible study materials or even preaching. Do with them as you wish, with my blessing. But the way you you access these resources is through the episode notes page of any audio version of this podcast. The audio version is the main thing. But there are links there to places like my YouTube channel, Facebook page, even a Patreon page where people partner with this ministry. But other than that, that's it for now. We'll jump right in and begin the study of the text. And I'll just see you at the tail end to say bye bye. So see you in a minute. Okay, today we are starting off looking at a new chapter. We're in Genesis chapter 48, and we're going to be looking at the story of Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they being blessed, being moved up in the sort of inheritance ranking, so to speak, by Jacob. And I'm calling the study, I think we're gonna spend two days looking at this chapter, and I'm, I'm looking at it from the perspective and seeing what we can learn about what it means practically to be living by faith. Now, many Christians are often heard to say things like, oh, we should live by faith. And they talk about walking by faith. And that is fair enough because truly the Bible does teach us that that's what we're meant to do. But what exactly does that mean? I remember when I first heard that expression as a child, I thought, what in the world are they talking about? What does that look like? What does it mean when someone tells me I need to walk by faith? And I suppose as an adult, we can still look in the world and think, what does it really mean? What's the practical experience of walking in faith? What does the life of someone who walks in faith look like? And how is it different to the usual life? Well, thankfully for our help, there's a story in the Old Testament that gives us an example of someone who we are told did that. But what's significant about this particular story is that the New Testament holds it up as an example of what it means to be living by faith. So what I want to do today is see what the story's about, what the scriptures say, these early scriptures in Genesis say, and which the New Testament tells us is a really good example if we want to understand what it takes to live a life of faith and what it looks like. And of course, the Old Testament story I'm talking about is this closing era in the life of Jacob that's recorded for us in Genesis chapter 48. So let me begin by reading it, and we'll start, as you would expect, with verse 1. 
Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son has come to see you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up in bed. Now we need to do a little review of what's been going on here up to this point. If you recall, the story as it's recorded in Genesis is that there has been a famine in the land of Egypt. And now we know we've passed the point where they've been reunited, the whole family with Joseph, because he ended up in Egypt long before them, mainly because, of course, his brother sold him into slavery. So at this point, we've already had the great family reunion and all was, went well. But now this new chapter opens up with verse 1 saying, sometime later, or some of the translations, the older versions say, and it came to pass, that famous biblical phrase. So after all that's happened, they've had the reunion, the family have now settled in Goshen, an area of Egypt, a fertile area, and they're all settling in. And then sometimes later we discover that Jacob is getting old and he's clearly sick. And it seems that there's a chance that he will pass away shortly. And Joseph is going to see him. And he takes his two sons with him, who of course are Jacob's grandchildren. Verse 3. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. So Jacob here is reminding Joseph of what happened to him, the story of his life and the fact that the Lord appeared to him way back in Canaan and blessed him, but importantly, that he made him a promise. The blessing that he gave him consisted of two things, and this is very important. He told him that he was going to make him fruitful and multiply and that he would give a great multitude of people out of his family line. So the first part of the blessing was you're going to have a huge family, a large group of people will come from you and their children and the grandchildren and the ongoing are going to become a multitude of people. Now verse 4 is the second part of the blessing which was I'm going to give you the land I'm going to give you this land to your descendants and all that come after you as an everlasting possession is the phrase used in the scriptures. So God blessed Jacob by giving him firstly family, a huge number of descendants, but also a promise of them having possession of the land that he was currently living in at that time, a land that was then called Canaan, and that, that he and his family descendants would have an everlasting proprietorship of that land so that's sort of the introduction but what follows next is well it's interesting picking up the text again now then your two sons born to you in egypt before i came to you here will be reckoned as mine ephraim and manasseh will be mine just as reuben and simeon are mine now this is really important what jacob's doing here he's adopting the two sons of joseph they're his grandchildren, but he's saying, I'm going to make them equal like my own children, like Reuben and Simeon, who are sons of Jacob, Joseph's own brothers. So in a sense, Jacob here is promoting Joseph's two sons, his grandchildren, 
and giving them an equal position and, importantly, an equal inheritance with Joseph and his brothers. So what verse 5 is describing for us is an ancient form of adoption. He's going to adopt them as if they were his own children. It'll become clear in a minute why this is important. And that's because they needed to be adopted this way in order that they could become equal heirs of Jacob, not just for the 12th portion that they were entitled through Joseph. He says, any children born to you after that will be yours in the territory they inherit. They will be reckoned under the names of their brothers. So he's saying in the future that any children that they have will have an inheritance with your brothers, that he's going to adopt them as well. In verse 7, then it takes a bit of a strange turn, which confuses some people, because he then just simply, wistfully almost, talks about Rachel and this is what he says as I was returning from Paddan to my sorrow Rachel died in the land of Canaan whilst we were still on the way a little distance from Ephrath so I buried her beside the road to Ephrath which is Bethlehem so you will remember that Rachel was the wife that he dearly loved she was the mother of Joseph and many Bible teachers come to this passage and think that it's a little bit out of place. The fact that he just suddenly talks about the fact that she died and he had to bury her in Bethlehem. But what it appears to me very simply and very humanly seems to say, he's reminiscing about his wife with his son, and of course she was his mother. And it appears to me he's sort of saying, you know, I'm going to adopt these sons as if your own mother had had them. And I think there's a sort of a, a nice resonant beauty to that verse. Anyway, that's the first part, the first phase of the story. There's actually three parts to it within this chapter. But this is the first part where he simply adopts his two grandsons and puts them in a position as if they were his own sons. God said to him, remember, I'm going to bless you and give you descendants. And I'm going to give those descendants the land. And it seems to me as an act of faith, he's coming here to Joseph and saying, I'm going to adopt my own two grandsons, your children, and I'm going to bring them up to the level of my children. I'm going to adopt them. And I think he's doing that because it's his way of showing, I believe that God's promise, the one about his descendants, is true. The whole point of it seems to me that he's practically acting out what he believed God had said. So this is an act of faith. It's an illustration, an example of living by faith in the way that he simply believes God's promises and then acts accordingly in the way that it is played out in his family. So it appears to me that the first element that we can learn here about walking in faith, living by faith, is simply one about taking God at his word, believing what he has said. And Jacob here makes a practical family decision that illustrates that he believed that God will do exactly what he promised to do. Some people seem to think that faith is something you do when you have no facts. You know, when you run out of facts, then all you have left is faith. But that, friends, is definitely not the type of faith that is seen or illustrated in the Bible. Biblical faith, I would say, is the exact opposite of that. It's not a leap in the dark. It's believing the facts. It's believing what has been written, what God has said. And you cannot, what can I say? You cannot exercise faith 
without first of all embracing those truths that have been laid out before us in the Bible. Some people want to say, well, I'm going to believe anyway, regardless of facts. But that also isn't biblical faith. Faith isn't about pulling something out of the air and just hoping that something comes true. Faith, as seen in the Bible, is about looking and seeing what God has said and believing that it's true and acting accordingly in that light as you live your life. It's believing as fact what the Bible says and what God promises and living a life that truly reflects that you believe that's true. So walking by faith is simply believing what God says. It's believing God, taking him by his word and living in the light of that truth. Now what happens next is got a familiar ring about it. Let's pick up the story in verse 8. When Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, Who are these? They are the sons God has given me, Joseph said to his father. Then Israel said, Bring them to me, so I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes were failing because of old age, and he could hardly see. So Joseph brought his sons close to him, and his father kissed them and embraced them. Now, don't be mistaken, it's not meant to read like he's never met them before. We know that's not true. A few verses ago talk about the fact that they brought before him, and of course we know that he met them earlier on in the narrative. But in verse 8 he's saying, who's there? Who's standing before me? So verse 8 isn't asking for information. He's not asking who are they. He has been introduced to them previously. He's just confirming that they are who they say they are before him because he's losing his eyesight. Maybe it has a resonance back for him when in the family line, when there was a deception of uh, his own father, when his eyesight was failing. And of course, his eyesight here is, we are told, is not as strong as it used to be. So he's confirming who they are, who's standing before him. And then he draws them in and he hugs them and he kisses them. So don't be confused. Some people, I think, misread this verse. He's not asking for information about who they are. He's just saying who's there. And it's for confirmation of who's standing before him. And when it's confirmed, he draws them in, hugs them, kisses them and blesses him. But this blessing is where the story really gets quite interesting. Let's pick it up in verse 11. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, and now God has allowed me to see your children too. Now in order to appreciate this and how Jacob must have been feeling, you have to remember that in the book of Genesis, in the story so far that we've been looking at over these last ten or so verses, you have to remember that Joseph, as a young teenager, was sold into slavery by his brothers. And Jacob, in fact, thought he was dead and that he would never see him again. So he's saying at this point, I didn't, you know, one day I didn't think I'd ever see your face again. And now look what's happening here. I'm looking at you and I'm looking at my grandchildren, which is an indication, he's saying, of the great blessing that God has shown him. That this amazing situation where they've finally been drawn together and here he is standing before his own offspring, his own grandchildren. So he's really acknowledging the faithfulness of God. And I feel there's an aspect of it and the referral to the sort of throwback, a callback to his own life, contrasting it in light of the ups and downs of his own life and how they stand in contrast 
to the amazing situation that God has been faithful and has continued to bless him through this and brought him to this point in spite of his mistakes of the past. He was not always faithful to the Lord. At times Jacob was a deceiver and a conniver and he says, yet in all of this God has greatly blessed me. So he wants Joseph to know just how grateful he is that he's reached this point in his life and the Lord has still done all that he's done for him. Verses 12 to 14 then tell us, Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees, that's the, the, the brothers, and he bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph then took both of them, Ephraim on his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them close in. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head, though he was the younger and crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, what in the world's going on here? Well, in order to explain this, I need to say that he's given a double blessing, but not to the oldest, which is what you would have thought, which was the custom. He's giving it to the youngest. So there's a point being made here, and there's a particular point being made in how important it is in the way he does it. It's a little complicated, but this thing about the left hand and the right hand mean that he's drawing them in in a way which illustrates who is the senior and who is the junior. But then he's crossing his arms and doing the blessing in the opposite way that one would expect. So he's doing it, so to speak, backwards and he blesses them. But then he also in verse 15 blesses Joseph. Let's just read that. It tells us, then he blessed Joseph that's verse 15 and then 16. This is the blessing itself. May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked faithfully, the God who has been my shepherd all of my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, he blesses these boys. May they be called by my name and the name of my father Abraham and Isaac, that they may greatly increase on the earth. So he's blessing the kids, well, the grandchildren, but first verse 15 also says that he preempts that with a blessing for Joseph. Now, this reversal of the inheritance line and the, and the position of the inheritance, this is not the first time, of course, this has happened in this family. In fact, we've seen it happen several times before. Remember, Jacob himself received a blessing over his elder brother. So in this passage, he's blessing Joseph's children over Reuben and Simeon. He's blessing Ephraim and Manasseh. So this, although out of the ordinary for the normal custom of the day, it's not out of the way in the way that God has worked so far in this family through the book of Genesis. Jacob understood that God works this way sometimes and he wanted to highlight that that was going on over here by drawing them correctly with the left and right hands which would illustrate their position in the hierarchy but then crossing his hands for the actual blessing and the blessing would be that the younger would be greater than the older and we shall see that come true in the book of judges when we shall see the tribes these younger ones Ephraim Manasseh increasing dramatically and by contrast we shall see the tribes of Reuben the overlooked brother of Joseph will be seen to decrease during the same period so God is blessing these two and the blessing will be seen to be outworked and fulfilled 
in the history of Israel detailed in the book of Judges. God will be seen again to bless the younger more than the older and it seems that's the way God works sometimes and it seems that's the way God particularly works through the story of the family line of Israel in the book of Genesis. Now when I opened up this beginning of studying this passage together I started off by saying that it was a great illustration of walking by faith. Well we've got the facts now and I, what I'll do is we'll pause here but I will try and unpack that for us and think about what it means for us today as we close this chapter off. But we'll do that when we all come back here tomorrow next time. Bye for now. Okay. There we are. As I said, we'll try and draw this all together when we'll close off chapter 48 when we come back together again next time. Quick reminder, like I said at the start, full resources of everything that I teach and make available. Uh, all the links are found in the episode notes section of any audio version of this podcast. There are places there where you can get some more long-form teaching. And from September, there's even going to be some discipleship projects, more akin to something that is uh, like a course. Uh, I feel the calling is, and some of the, the reaching out I've had to me has been for more sort of training people. And, uh, well, the Bible tells us that we are to equip the saints for works of service. So I'm going to be putting some stuff there to try and help develop people's giftings that they can serve the Lord worldwide and the first of those is going to be a series on preparing expository Bible studies or even a guide to expository preaching if that's what you feel God's gifted you to do. All those will be freely available but they'll be put on places uh, more uh, in, in a training format on places like my LinkedIn page and on the Patreon website. So you'll find the links to everything like that there. But other than that that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a real privilege to be part of this huge community that have made a commitment to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. But if you feel that you're benefiting from this, then I humbly ask that maybe you should consider sharing it with other people. Share it on whatever social media parts of the internet you happen to exist upon then there's more opportunities for more people to see it and for to make the study of God's Word, the Bible, part of their daily lives also. And we know people will benefit from that, don't we? Because we know we are. So consider doing that. Like it, share it, maybe even review it if you want. But by doing that, we are working together to help uh, encourage people and help them find and hopefully meet and meet and come into a personal relationship with God through the study of his word. But anyway, that's it for today. I'll see you right back here. It'll be tomorrow for me, but would be whatever day it happens to be for you when you choose to sit down again and listen to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.